Hello and welcome. This is Diane Lake, your host, and I'm going to be sharing how you can understand and apply the prophetic through practical terms, practical ways, and practical means that make it relevant to everyday life so that you can prepare the way for the Lord's purposes to manifest in the earth. This is Preparing the Way, That Practical Prophetic. Hello guys, welcome to episode 5, Choosing Your Weapon. Now the weapon that we're talking about today is God's Word. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this is a very practical lesson today, a very practical episode. You might be surprised how many people ask me about what versions they should use or buy for themselves. What would I recommend? The answer is there's no one right version. But it's very important to have one that works for you because the Word of God is our anchor. Nothing that we hear prophetically can supersede, contradict, or be contrary to the Word of God in any way. So remember, we've been talking about the practical prophetic ways we can hear the voice of the Lord more clearly for ourselves. We have to know the scriptures. Now, as far as there being no one right version, we're going to break that down. I'm going to tell you why and how that can apply to you so you know which one is best for you. But first, let's go back to Ephesians 6.17 for a moment. The word, word, meaning the Greek word for word, in Ephesians 6.17 is not logos, as we might expect, which is normally associated with the written revealed will of God, meaning the Bible. Instead, it's rhema, which is associated with God's spoken will, or a prophetic word. And yet it does refer to the life-giving force inherent in God's will through Scripture. So let me explain. The key to understanding this is that the Holy Spirit reminds us of the written words of God when we need them. Jesus told his disciples in John 14:26 that the Holy Spirit would come in his name and teach them all things and bring to their remembrance everything that he had said to them. So in a similar way, we can trust the Holy Spirit to bring to mind individual scriptures that are pertinent to whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. So therefore, the word in that instance, in that verse, is not alluding so much to a prophetic word or even the entire Bible, but to specific scripture passages highlighted by the Holy Spirit to enable us to live in victory in each situation that we're in. So therefore, familiarity with scripture is a prerequisite in this process and in the process of learning to be practically effective in the prophetic. We have to regularly read, meditate on, and even memorize scripture in order for this to happen. So as I said, there's no one right version. That's because there is no perfect translation. So we'll talk about some of the reasons why there isn't. For one thing, things that are said in one language simply sometimes cannot be said perfectly in another. They can only be approximate. That's true of any languages even today. Another uh, issue is that translators have to make choices. You know, thousands of years can pass as far as a culture so that phrases and figures of speech that existed at one time simply don't exist anymore. One example that I like to use when people ask me this question is, suppose you were writing in a diary today, and you were having a terrible day, or there's just 
overwhelming circumstances and you say that you are drowning in misery or drowning in sorrow so that's what you write down in your journal that day well if someone were to pick that journal up 2,000 years from now they may not understand what that figure of speech what that phrase means they might wonder was this person underwater were they drowning were there were they in actuality going to lose their life because they don't understand that there's no water involved just because you said you were drowning so these are the kinds of things that translators face when they're translating scripture all right here's another issue there's always a text or a guiding philosophy that undergirds a particular translation so you kind of want to know what that is so one way to find that out the best way I believe is to read the preface every Bible every version is going to have a preface when you read that you understand the guiding philosophy what culture that person who's translating well you know it's obviously more than one person and if it's an institution but what was that culture that the person was born in grew up or educated in so be aware that translators have presuppositions we all do that we carry with us and so we're going to interpret whatever we see in life, let's say, through those presuppositions. Well, the same is true for translators. Here's something else to consider. What kind of use do you want out of this version of the Bible? What are you looking for? Are you looking for, number one, an accurate text, a formal text, for use in, say, preaching or teaching? That would be... Uh, the guidance that you'd want from a very literal translation, a word-for-word -word translation. Or number two, are you looking for this one? Something as literal as possible while maintaining easy readability. That would be more of a thought-for-thought -thought type of translation. In other words, the translator is looking at the whole sentence more than he is the word-to-word. -word. The third way would be like a devotional use type Bible. Are you looking for easy reading, easy understanding? Especially as a new believer, sometimes that's a very good way to go. This would be a paraphrase, and it's not anything that you'd want to be using for a study Bible. So let's look at paraphrase versions a little bit more closely or in detail. A paraphrase translation uses modern language and idioms to try to capture the thought and essence behind the original text. The goal is readability. It's not an exact interpretation of the text. So I'll give you some examples of those versions. The Message Bible, the Passion Translation, which is only partially complete at this time, but I really like that one. The Living Translation, sometimes called the Living Bible, the Good News Translation. All right, let's move to that literal category, but still possibly, still maintaining easy readability as much as possible. The NIV is the, west, the best well-known in this category. The 1984 version is the one that I had in my library and eventually quit using. I'll talk about that and why, why I did that. Now the 2011 version of the NIV contains quite a bit more paraphrasing, which some feel puts it into the paraphrase category paraphrase category rather than the literal as possible while still maintaining easy readability. Some examples, revised English version, the new revised English version, the new living translation. Now the new living translation has another issue that we'll come back to. 
further on. Okay, so the third category is very literal. Now that's the one we're talking about is word to word, trying to be very accurate to the text. Now they try to be they try to just honor every word of the original Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Greek, whatever it is. Those are the ones that are best used for study, for preaching, for teaching. Examples would be King James Version, New King James Version, NASB, that would be the New American Standard, the ESV, English Standard, and the Amplified. Now before we move on to some other issues, I want to talk about the King James Version in particular. Now it's funny that I grew up on the old King James Version. That was all my dad. He was an itinerant pastor from about the time he was 40 on. And um, he, I mean, if it wasn't the old King James, he thought it was like somehow blasphemous, I guess. Well, there are some problems with the old King James. And um, I mean, I still... I still have a lot of it in my head. I, I memorized from that as a kid, as a teenager. I was saved about 10, but as a teenager, uh, I entered some different memory contests and things, you know, kind of earned my way to camp, that kind of thing. So it's surprising how much of that old language is still in my head. But I don't use it, of course, because it's just awkward and hard to understand. But it is a very beautiful language as well. But something to be aware of is that the King James, the old King James version, at that time when it was translated, the translators did not have all the modern manuscripts available. So for that reason, some feel that they are not uh, as accurate as the modern translations. In fact, some of the manuscripts that they had were defective. Now I'm talking about from the scholar's opinion. In fact, I had a professor one time that absolutely just, uh, I mean, very much almost detested the King James Version and said that it was just plain wrong in many instances and they were guessing. Now that's pretty extreme. So the new, new King James has some of this built into it as well. It's, it's better. And actually, I prefer the New King James. So, you know, you have to just figure some of this stuff out for yourself. But some feel that it was based on inferior manuscripts. Something else to consider is the approach of the translators. Some are more exegetical. They want the original sense of the text. What did it mean? They're going to be suggesting in their translation the most probable interpretation. Others approach it more expositorily. They expand the theology and teach within a certain dogmatic framework. These are some of the presuppositions that they bring in. And finally, some approach it more homiletically, more like a devotional. What does it preach? And it can sometimes, in that matter, in that instance, depart more radically from the text. The translator might take some liberties. All right, let's talk about some other issues with some certain, uh, certain versions, okay? Now, you might be aware that the newer NIV and the newer ESV, so that's the NIV and the English Standard, are missing some versions, or excuse me, verses. <laughs> it's too similar to versions, verses, but they are missing some verses. The NIV was published by Zonder Band, but is now owned by HarperCollins. So some have saw, seen this, saw this as the source of the missing verses. Um, the NIV, that is the newer version now, has removed some of the words from the Bible, including Jehovah, Calvary, Holy Ghost, and Omnipotent, to name a few. But I think what has, I think, alarmed more people than anything is that the newer NIVs and the newer ESVs 
and some other versions, have now also removed 45 complete verses of Scripture. You might not realize it, but if you check it out, it's true. Uh, I'll give you a few. Matthew 17, 21, Matthew 18, 11, Matthew 23, 14, Mark 7, 16. The list goes on, but we're going to stop there. Let's, let's just land on Matthew 17, 21. Okay, this is one of the verses that is not in these newer two newer versions, and there's a, a couple others. But that verse says, but this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. All right, so you can go look at this passage yourself if you want. Be sure to check this out on your own if you'd like. But there is a simple explanation. I don't think it was diabolical or done because people were trying to alter the word. Every one of the missing verses that I have checked have a notation if you use a study Bible in the versions that still have them that they were not part of the original manuscript. Now they might name the manuscript but what we're talking about is a discrepancy between manuscripts older versus more modern. Some have that scripture and some don't. So when you encounter one of these textual variants as an interpreter or a translator, you have to attempt to figure out why is there a difference in the text. And so why would newer manuscripts have the Matthew 17:21, but older manuscripts not? How do you know which one you're supposed to trust? That's the kind of issues and decisions that translators make when they're making these versions. So honestly, my opinion is that there is no plot to undermine the Word of God. But in this instance, it's very conservative scholars who are doing work as textual criticizers. And they're doing this criticism in attempt to have the most accurate translation of the Bible that they feel is possible. So I hope you followed up that. I don't think it's alarming, but you need to be aware of it because if it bothers you that they're taking out verses like this, then you need to keep, uh, what I'm going to say keep a hold of, if you already had an older version of the ESV or the NIV, you want to keep those because the newer versions in the Bible apps aren't going to have those verses. Or go search out used Bibles and see if you can find that. And maybe it doesn't bother you at all. It's just something to be aware of. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is that there are some gender issues, is what I'm going to call it. So remember, translators carry presuppositions. They come from a culture they're born in, they're raised in, that they you know, are educated in. So um, as a woman in ministry, I'm quite aware of some of the differences in the translations and how they treat women. And um, I had used an NIV for a lot of years and I think I switched in 2012 to the New King James versions. So let me tell you one of the scriptures that I came across that caused me to change. But then there's been some change since then. So anyway, let me just start. Hebrews 11:11. 11, 11. In the NIV Classic Reference Bible dated from 1988, which is what I had been using, that verse, Hebrews 11:11, 11, 11, says this, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, Abraham was enabled to become a father who had made, become a father who had made the pro promise. I'm not sure if I quoted that quite right, but anyway, the point being, Sarah is only mentioned that but she was barren, but it was Abraham who became the father because he had the promise. However, I discovered in the New King James Version, that same verse said, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. 
So all of a sudden the switch, it's Hebrews 11, 11 is all about Sarah and he, and Abraham himself is not even mentioned. Whereas in the NIV that I just quoted, it was all about Abraham. Well, I have discovered that the newer NIV version has changed it and now says by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. So I see that the the newer NIVs have corrected that, which tells you that it probably should never have been taken out in the first place, right? So uh, before I go too far, I was going to mention this at the end, but I'll just insert it right here. There's a very good website for comparing, for comparing versions of the Bible. It's called BibleHub.com. And you can actually see all these versions on the same page if you want to research it yourself. Because when you want to invest in a Bible that you're going to use for you know, all kinds of purposes, you want to be sure you're getting the right one. So that's one tool that I found and, and really like. So one more example quickly uh, would be Psalm 6811. Um, now, in the older NIV that I had been using in 1988, that verse says, The Lord announced the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. And the Psalm 6811, same verse, NASB, says, The Lord gives the command word, the women who proclaim the good tidings are a great host. So in the newer um, version of the NIV, they've put the women back in. But the one that I was using took the women right out of that verse. Um, and I became aware of that. And I, I changed versions, basically, because I was seeing too many of these things in the version that I used. But again, as I said, the newer NIV seemed to be correcting that. And even the New King James, which I often use, has some issues with some of that gender translation kind of thing. So I hope that's been helpful to you. You know, I really just don't want to leave you hanging here without understanding that the whole point of getting into the versions of the Bible like I have is that you need to understand the Word of God. You need to hide it away in your heart. You need to have it in your, like, um, like have it in your mind, like as you even go through your day so that you're not listening for the voice of the Lord without having something to base it upon. Scripture is our anchor and it always will be. That's never going to change. You cannot be moving forward in the prophetic if you do not get into the Word of God regularly. Amen? All right, let me just pray with you. Lord Jesus, as the listeners today are considering what version of the Bible is best for them, I pray that the things that have been said today will just be like a light switch coming on. That they'll be like, oh, I get it, I understand. There's no one right version, but there is going to be a version that is best for me. And so, Holy Spirit, guide them in that process. You're the author of Scripture. You can certainly help people pick the right version that they need for their everyday life from day to day. Thank you, Father, for listening to our prayer. Thank you for listening to our heart that we have got the best version of the Bible that we could get so that we can understand your heart more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for listening. Bless you. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Preparing the Way, the Practical Prophetic. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your positive review helps the show reach more people with our message. And please visit our website at www.starfireministries.org 
where you can donate, read our latest articles, and keep up to date with us on all of our social media sites. Thanks again, and I'll see you next